Welcome to Pep Talks, People Empowering People. These uplifting interviews allow everyday people to share their not-so-everyday stories of resiliency to help you get through your story. This is your host, Casey Crawford Kellum. I'm a widow who has certainly faced my share of adversity, but I continue to keep on dancing. I'm a school counselor, author, yoga instructor, motivational speaker, and former business owner and special ed teacher, and now podcaster. My journey is about helping you to get through your journey. Hello, I am here today with Munira Premji, the author of Choosing Hope, One Woman, Three Cancers, the story of how she battled three advanced cancers, stage four non-Hodgkin lymphoma, stage three multiple myeloma, and stage three breast cancer within a period of five years. Munira shares her inspirational story about resiliency, courage, and hope in the face of overwhelming odds. She tells her experiences at home, in the hospital, and in the community, revealing with utter honesty and catching humor her moments of darkness and light, of intense pain, and blissful but precarious relief. Welcome, Munera. How are Hi, you? Hi, Casey. What a fabulous introduction. Thank you for inviting me to your show. Oh, absolutely. I really look forward to hearing your journey. I, I'm saddened to hear that you've been through so much, but you seem like such a woman of strength and courage. And I know your story is going to really encourage so many of my friends and family and listeners who are also facing cancer or other diseases. And I think you're going to be able to give a lot of people hope. Um, before we get into talking about that part of your journey, why don't you just give us a little background about you? Well, I was born in Moshi, Tanzania, um, so East Africa, um, in a very, very small town that uh, contained Mount Kilimanjaro. So every morning I'd wake up in the morning and peer through my window and there was this majestic uh, mountain that I had a chance to kind of halfway climb um, as a 16-year-old. As wow. um, I lived in, uh, in Moshi until I moved to Toronto, where I came to study. So I was about 19 when I moved to Toronto. I uh, went to university here. Um, fell in love, got married with my husband, <laughs> and uh, we raised uh, two children who, ironically, Casey, have moved back to Africa. So they both live and have made lives in Africa. Oh, my goodness. Now, did you visit there a lot that they ended up moving back there? Um, we've actually visited a few times. The last time we were there was about a year uh, about a year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, I vacillate between two homes, you know, in, in some ways, Moshi, Tanzania, Africa is home for me. And Canada is home for me. And so I kind of vacillate between the two. Oh, good for you. Well, that's wonderful. What a unique story from the beginning of your life. Uh, quite a unique journey. And so you went to university in Toronto. What did you study there? Um, communication and English, as a matter of fact. And uh, the work that I do now is I am an HR consultant. 
And my areas of expertise include change management, leadership development, um, coaching, uh, organizational development. So that's the area of focus for me. All stuff you probably use just to help you through your journey. And of course, the English and communication, I'm sure, helped you with your book mm-hmm. uh, uh, that we'll talk about, One Woman Choosing Hope, One Woman, Three Cancers. Um, so so tell us, tell us about this five-year journey you had with this cancer. This began um, in 2012, is that correct? That's absolutely correct, February 2012. So take us back to that time and what was going on there. I um, ended up in the emergency in in the hospital. And um, this was a bit strange for me because I really had been healthy my entire life. You know, there is no history of cancer in my family. And so when I ended up in the hospital, because I was losing blood, um, I really thought I was anemic, and I thought that that would be the diagnosis. Um, I ended up staying in emergency for a few days and um, basically was told that I had stage 3 multiple myeloma, which is a cancer of the bone marrow. And, you know, that came completely out of left field, totally, totally um, unexpected. We didn't even know what multiple myeloma was. And so I ended up um, with my husband, you know, going to Dr. Google (laughs) and, uh, you know, learning about myeloma. And and what we read was not was was not pleasant. Um, You know, essentially, it is a cancer that is not curable. Um, So that was our our introduction uh, to cancer. And we knew from that moment on that our lives had really changed forever. And then um, I was back at work a week later and trying to grapple with this news. And I get a call from the hospital saying that I needed to go back immediately. And so the next day I was back at the hospital. And this time they said that further biopsy revealed that in fact, I now had a second cancer, and that was stage four non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Oh, my gosh. And that cancer is, uh, is, is a tough cancer. You know, you have a 50-50 chance of making it. Jeez. And so um, I was, um, yeah, those were tough days, really tough days. Um, I, I was assigned uh, an, an oncologist who thankfully had expertise in both myeloma and lymphoma. And basically he said, we've got to get that lymphoma under control because it's aggressive, it's moving quickly. And if we do not um, manage that um, with very, very aggressive treatment, you're not just, you're not going to make it. Oh my God. And so, yeah, that was, uh, that was the, that was our lives, um, February 2012, yes. Wow, oh my gosh, and I can't even begin to imagine the emotions and thoughts that were going through your head. I mean, what were you feeling optimistic? Were you feeling like you were just, you know, given up an awful, not long life card? Like, what were you, what were you thinking at that time? 
It was incredibly tough, Casey. I tend to be a really positive person generally, but there was nothing to be positive about. Um, my situation was was pretty dire, and it didn't look like I was going to make it, you know, past a couple of months. I mean. I think one of the doctors had actually basically said that because before I even started treatment, um, I ended up in intensive care and uh, my hemoglobin dropped so low that they were concerned that every organ was going to stop one organ at a time. And I wasn't going to make it through that night. And I remember that night, um, you know, with my family around me, um, and I'm trying to figure out what do I say to my husband? What do I say to my son, Shane, my daughter, Sabrina, you know, that would carry them through their lives because it didn't look like I was going to to make it through that night. And how uh, old were your son and daughter at that time? Uh, good question. They were in their 20s. They were in their 20s. Okay. They were in their 20s. And uh, um, we were preparing for last rites, um, you know, to have the, the minister come over and do last rites. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought it was the last time I was going to pray with my family. It was just a really difficult time. And then I, I remember just speaking to God and saying, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta find a way to get me through this, you know, because if you can create the heavens and the earths, I mean, what's a cancer or two for you, <laughs> you know? And I remember, you know, bargaining with him, like literally bargaining with him saying, you know, if you allow me to live, I'm going to be like such an incredible, incredible human being. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really kind of went through a, a really interesting process because, it's not until you are almost at death's door that you realize the value of life. And I just wanted to live. I had a lot to live for. And how, and, can I ask you how old you were at this time? Um, I think I was 52. Oh, young. Mm-hmm. Wow. Geez. Super young. It's not until you were at death's door do you realize how precious life is that's pretty mm -hmm. profound so there you are bargaining with god and it sounds like he heard you you know he really did and i think the one constant for me throughout my journey has has been his hand on my shoulder you know i uh, i feel that you know even during the darkest days um he he has he has held me he has held me, and and I think that's what I've always taken comfort in, and and I and I really believe that God doesn't put you through what He cannot take you through, and so every time things have been really difficult, I've I've, I've almost heard Him say, I, "I got this, I got this. You just you know, do your part. I got this." Wow, wow, that's wonderful. You know, I remember my husband uh, feeling that God was there. He felt God pulling his hand. So he had some of those profound um, relationships with God that, you know, most of us don't experience, you know, at that door. And, you know, he ended up living a couple years later, like God was right there and told him, not yet, not taking you yet. So I, I, I know that that happens. And, you know, Casey, I do believe that the soul doesn't leave your body 
until the moment that it is meant to. I mean, whatever you do, however you live, it will leave your body when it is meant to. And so the idea is to live every moment, you know, as if it is your last day and to embrace life uh, in its sadness and in its glory and it, in its ecstasy and in its um, teachings and in its learnings and just live it fully. And that's what I am choosing to do now. I love that. Oh my gosh, boy, is that profound. And, you know, so many of us just take advantage of life because we haven't been put in that situation. And we think that we're, you know, never going to, to leave that our lives are forever going and invincible as we are, and we're not. Anything can happen to anybody at any time. And so absolutely, we should be living every minute of every day as full as we can. I, I believe that. I do. I try to get outside and play as much as I can because we don't know what tomorrow brings. So mm-hmm. I, I love that you live that way and you're a beacon of resiliency and a beacon of just embracing life to its fullest. Wow. And then, so here you are, you bargained, God heard you. Now you're going through how much treatment? Like, are you going through 2012, 2013? What is all that looking like? So the treatment was pretty horrendous. And I was so naive, you know, when I went through this because I thought chemo was chemo, only to realize that different cancers really have different protocols. So uh, the chemo for the uh, non-Hodgkin lymphoma was uh, six months and uh, it was every three weeks where I'd had to go to the hospital for a full day and it was rather invasive. And uh, chemo has its own side effects and I probably went through all of those side effects, you know, from not being able to eat to having chemo brain where I couldn't remember much um, the fatigue, the constipation, the diarrhea, the um, weakness, the absolute, absolute weakness where climbing stairs was just so difficult, where, you know, taking a walk from uh, the door to um, the bedroom was just e- extremely difficult. Um, and so that took a good six months. Now, were and, you, did you stop working during this time? Mm-hmm, I did. I, um, I was working as a consultant um, with, a, with an amazing pharmaceutical company, and they really wanted me to continue to stay. And I started to realize that stuff that would take me generally, you know, a week to do was now taking me three weeks. Oh, and boy. so I went to my, uh, my wonderful manager and I said, you know what, this really is, is not working out. I, I don't feel good about doing this work. I, I know that I'm not doing my best work and it's taking very long. And so you need to allow me to just leave and uh, I, I need to focus on, on the treatment. So um, that's what I did. And then um, after six months of treatment, you know, the myeloma still was knocking at the door. (laughs) And so I I had to go through that treatment. And my oncologist, you know, who has become a really good friend since, 
uh, he said, I can't put you through more chemo. Um, I think we need to give you, you know, a couple of weeks of break. And um, my husband said, can I take you to Niagara Falls, which is, you know, just a couple of hours drive. Um, can, can I take her away, you know, for, for, for a week or so? And I looked at the oncologist and I said, can he take me to Florida? Because that's my happy place. <laughs> right, right. I don't want an Niagara Falls. I want and warm. He, yeah. <laughs> and the oncologist actually said yes. And I think we both had our mouths open. Like we were just so shocked. And oh. we were so excited. And so we went to, uh, to Florida to Clearwater, which, which I, 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 I feel is paradise for me. Yes, so, love Clearwater. Uh, yeah, so my daughter and my husband and I went to Clearwater. And, you know, it was interesting. I write this in the book. Um, my suitcase carried really interesting things, you know. Um, it had uh, a lot of medicine and it had uh, um, injections that my husband would need to inject me with during that time. And it had uh, uh, wigs because, you know, the ego. Sure. <laughs> I wanted to look good, so I had like three wigs, and so 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 my suitcase looked really quite interesting. Sure. And, uh, um, How did it feel to be out on the beach and free of, you know, tubes and all the you know the hospital apparatus and kind of free of all that for a bit? How did that feel to you? The thing that I remember the most is uh, after a very, very long time, I was actually able to eat. And I ate and I ate and I, I, I couldn't uh, stop eating. I just was enjoying food so much. And I, I remember dancing. You know, those are my, my biggest memories of Florida. And uh, when I came back, I put on some, some much-needed weight and I was just so ready to start uh, the second chapter of my treatment, which was more chemo. More chemo. So now are we a year into this? Are we now in 2013 at this point? No, we're still in 2012. Oh, my goodness. What a year for you. Okay, so you're in 2012. You've already gotten through one set of chemo, six months of chemo that nearly knocked you on your butt. You take a little respite there in clear water, and now you're back for round two for the myeloma. So what did that treatment look like? So the chemo for myeloma uh, is really quite different, and myeloma is a pesky cancer, you know? <laughs> and uh, the treatment was a little bit less invasive. A, a lot of the cancer drugs were, um, you know, oral drugs. So I took about 23 pills, and then I had to go to the hospital for. Um, an infusion. Um, and so it was a lot more manageable, but I did need to do this once a week. And I did that for about four months. And then the treatment for myeloma, if you are eligible, um, includes uh, a stem cell transplant. Oh, wow. Okay. So I went through a stem cell um, transplant and uh, it's an autologous transplant. And what that means is that they remove the stem cells from your own body and then they freeze it. And then when it's time for the transplant, they take those stem cells and they inject that back into your body um, with the hope that those 
baby stem cells will now attach to your body and uh, grow new stem cells. And, uh, you know, then you are, are able to, to live without cancer for at least a few years. So how, so how, oh my gosh, science is just amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. How did they actually remove the stem cells? What was that yeah. process? It's, it's a really, really cool process. So basically, it's very much like, uh, like a dialysis. So you sit uh, on this chair for about six hours, and then there's, you know, tubes on one side of your body and on the other, and they're essentially uh, collecting uh, the, the, the stem cells. So they're collecting stuff, the blood goes back into your body, the stem cells get collected separately, um, and they need to collect a certain number of stem cells for this to be successful. And typically it takes, you know, two times to do that. But in my case, it got really, really complicated. Um, it didn't take the first time and it didn't take the second time and it didn't take the third time. And so every time I would go to the hospital, they would take blood work to see if I had enough stem cells in my body. And, uh, you know, I would go to the hospital really hopeful. We would pray, you know, may this be the day. Third time, fourth time, fifth time, Casey, nine times. Oh, it my took. gosh. Oh, my and, gosh. And, uh, you know, we were losing hope at this point. It was, it was a really dark uh, time for us because we knew that if I couldn't get the, the stem cell transplant, that... I would not be able to live long. I mean, that was really very, very clear. And so we went back to the oncologist and said, what do we do now? And he said, you know, there is a drug. It's called Mosabil. And we need to get you that drug. And that will wake up the stem cells (laughs) so that we will be able to, um, you know, mobilize it. And the only problem is it, it costs a lot of money. So... I would need four vials and each vial cost about $10,000. Oh my God. And so, you know, that's what we were prepared to do. And uh, I called the pharmaceutical company that I worked at and I said, don't, don't we make Mosabil? <laughs> and they said, we do. And I said, I really need Mosabil. And can we work something out so that I can, you know, get it at a reduced rate and this was an example, Casey. You know, I, I see that you've got the sign believe behind you. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. The pharmaceutical company really put humanity over profits oh, and wow. gave those, um, the, the, the Mosabils to me. And um, we were able to use that. My husband injected that in me, went back to the hospital. This is our ninth time. And my stem cells were popping like popcorn. And we were oh able my to collect God. enough for two stem cell transplants. Oh, my gosh. Wow, what a miracle. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. How, how wild is it that you're working for the company that's making the very drug you need to boost your stem cell count? And that how grateful that they took that humanity over profit and did the right thing to help you. Casey, oh the story gosh. gets even better because I ended up using only uh, two of the vials uh, for Mosabil. And so the other two vials ended up going to people who would not have been able to afford it. 
So oh, you saved other uh, people's lives too. The company did, you know, oh and God works in miraculous ways. I know. Isn't that, isn't that remarkable? It's isn't beautiful. That absolutely remarkable. I, I am a little choked up with cheer, you know, little chills here. That's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful that you were able to make enough to help a couple other people. Wow. Your life giving other people's lives. And at a time when you're, at nearly your weakest, you're yeah. ultimately helping others with your... Yeah, I was wow. just an instrument, Casey, just an instrument, you know? I love that. But an instrument that saved lives. I love that. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. And just the hope and praying that you got through this nine times. I mean, my gosh, kind of feel beat down each time. And, and so this was was this like a period of a year that you were going through this stem cell piece? Uh, no, it uh, it took a while to get the stem cells. And then uh, in February of 2013, February of 2013 is when I had my first uh, stem cell transplant. And it was incredibly successful. And... Uh, Typically, when you have a stem cell transplant, you know, it gives you two and a half, three years of life on average. And for me, it was seven years. Wow. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And then the cancer came back because uh, myeloma is not curable at this point. And so I had to have a second stem cell transplant. And I had that seven months ago. So was that part of the two vials that you kept or uh, like you had four vials initially two were given away did you only use one vial the first time um, no I used uh, we used the, for the the two vials in order for them to collect the stem cells and then the stem cells are frozen and then they are reinfused in my body so did you make more stem cells just this year to to for this last infusion uh, the stem cells that were collected back in 2012 is what was used okay, seven months ago yes oh my gosh yes. oh my gosh and is it a painful process i mean is it a blood infusion is that like what does it does it entail um it's uh it's really science at it's very very best um you know the infusion process is uh is where they where they infuse it back in your body, um, and it was such a cool thing when we did it seven months ago because my son from um, Kenya surprised us and showed up the night before to be with us. Oh, my beautiful. daughter and her husband were, um, I think they were in Qatar at the time. They were traveling to Qatar, I think it was, and they FaceTimed. <laughs> and so this process takes place. It takes about 45 minutes. You know, they, they, they put it in your, in your system um, through, through your line. And uh, uh, once it goes in, um, it's, it's a tough three weeks. The first week after the infusion is not so bad. The second week is horrible because all of your counts go down to zero and you almost wish like you were never born. It's a really tough uh, week. And, uh, you know, literally what happens is before they infuse the stem cell in you for the transplant, 
they give you the mother of all chemos. And that chemo is, is so bad because they need to ensure that your body is free of cancer. Even though you've had four months of chemo, they, they need to make sure that your body is completely clear of cancer before they infuse the new stem cells in you. And that chemo is very, 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 very hard on your system. It, it literally brings everything in your body down to zero. Oh my gosh. So are you in the hospital during all this time? Are you supposed to be home? That's the fascinating case. The first time I had my transplant done, I was in the hospital for three weeks. Um, And then the second time that I did the transplant, um, I did it as as an outpatient. So, So basically every morning, my husband would, you know, take me to the hospital and then I would be there and they would check me and see how I was doing. And I wasn't doing so well. And so I was pretty much at the hospital, you know, the, the, the whole day. And then we would come home and then I would go right to bed. And uh, there were days when I got really, really sick. So I ended up being in the hospital for three or four days. Oh, my gosh. Now, is this at the beginning of 2020? Was this just happening in January for you? Yeah, this happened. Um, yeah, this happened in December. Okay. Of 2020. Okay. Of, of 2019. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so you're just, so so you had like three weeks of not feeling well, uh, and then after that, how did you rebound from that? Slow recovery, you know, taking care of my body, um, eating right, um, going for regular um, checkups, blood work, you know, on a weekly basis. And again, you know, Casey, the body is such a miraculous thing, isn't it? I mean, when you think about how our heart beats and how the oxygen knows where to go and how everything happens so seamlessly, it really is a miracle. And, you know, I uh, had been through this before and I knew that I would hopefully with God's grace, you know, come out of it again. And today, seven months later, I feel like I'm on top of the world. Wow. Oh, my gosh. What a, what a miracle story. What a miracle story. And thank God for science, like, I mean, stem cell research and all that stem cells have done for people and, and you going through it, not once, but twice. You know, initially, it should have given you two and a half to three years of life, but it gave you seven years. And now... You're on a second batch of it and you feel great. That's just, that's a true miracle. Mm-hmm. And Casey, in between that, in December of 2015, <laughs> I noticed a lump in my breast and I said to my husband, I see a lump in my breast. And he said, I don't even want to know about this. Oh, I don't geez. even want to hear about this. Oh, my and gosh. I ended up uh, going to um, my, my doctor and uh, lo and behold, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. So that was in 2015. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So what did you have to go through in 2015? Um, Basically surgery first and then chemotherapy. And again, it was a whole different protocol of chemo and then radiation. So it was the first time I'd had uh, radiation. And how did you feel with the combination of chemo and radiation? You know, it was the year 
that my daughter was getting married. So my daughter um, was uh, during during this time that I was going through breast cancer. She was doing her masters at Columbia. Wow! And so um, she would come and, and and visit, you know, for while I was going through treatment, and she um, got married that year. So it was the most wonderful distraction for me because I just wanted to get really, really well very quickly because I was absolutely going to her graduation. You know, there was nothing that was going to stop me from, from going to her graduation and then being there, you know, for her wedding. And so she went through times and, and, and her husband, you know, her, her fiance at the time saying, should we postpone the wedding? And I said, no, 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 life has to be lived. You know, you're, you're going to move forward and I'm going to be right there. And so that year was a fabulous year because, um, you know, she was in Colombia, her boyfriend, fiance was in, in Africa and, uh, um, we were basically part wedding planners for oh. for her. So um, you know, even though it was a it was an interesting time of going through treatment, it was also a, a time of looking forward. Right, so much to celebrate, and so many new beginnings mm-hmm. uh, for your daughter. For you, you have a new son-in-law and a daughter with a master's degree, and. And what great distractions for you to be a part of that wedding planning, I'm sure. Oh, my goodness. So now you have myeloma, Hodgkin's, and breast cancer. You've gone through more chemo than anybody should ever go through, period. And the stem cells you've gone through. Wow. And now you're feeling pretty, pretty good. Here we are seven years later with all of this that you've been through just seven months ago. Um, you went through your last uh, stem cell and, and you're feeling pretty good right now. Um, I'm actually feeling obsessively, fabulously, brilliantly awesome. <laughs> feeling on top of the world, you know, living every moment uh, with such gratitude. I love that. Oh my goodness. And, and you look amazing. I I can see Manera in this Zoom conference that we're doing, and she is just absolutely beautiful, just radiant. You're shining, your skin is glowing, your eyes are glowing. You're just a very beautiful person. You can tell by just seeing you that you're beautiful inside and out. And and I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed um, through podcasting. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So you have a podcast that you do as well? I do. And the podcast is called Choosing Hope, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. And um, like you, you know, I, I just wanted to um, provide an opportunity for people who are doing crazy, wonderful things, you know, who already have a voice. I just wanted to give them a platform to um, expand their, their reach and talk about their stories with others. Right online. Beautiful, beautiful. And so Choosing Hope is not just the name of your podcast, but it's also the name of your book. So tell me about your book. When did you write this and how is it going and how can we get this book? So um, Choosing Hope. 
I love the picture on it. Oh, my goodness. Please, listeners, look up Choosing Hope by by Manira Premji, and it's P-R-E-M-J-I. Look for this book, Choosing Hope, One Woman, Three Cancers. So tell us more about it. Um, So, you know, I... um it was my daughter really that suggested that I, I write a book and uh, I, I put together a first draft fairly quickly and then I shared it with my family and um, I got some pretty brutal feedback. You know, Sabrina said to me, I think this can be better. And um, my son basically gave me brutal feedback, eight pages worth, oh, you know, gosh. about... <laughs> That's what happens about, when you have smart kids, huh? <laughs> you know, and, and the thing is, I sat with that feedback. You know, I, I thought that he, he had, you know, really good things to say. And I, and I could tell that he went through uh, the book in, in much detail. And so I, um, I took a year to rewrite the book. And um, my daughter is a phenomenal writer. And she really, uh, a lot of her voice is in this book. And once we rewrote the book, uh, Casey, I, I just knew that I had something that I felt really great about. And then the question was getting it published. Um, and so I did send it out to an, a number of publishers and got rejected. And uh, th- this was the first version of the book. And then after I rewrote it, I sent it to a publisher. And, you know, typically Publishers will take six months to even let you know whether they're interested. But within two weeks of receiving my book, the the new version of my book, this particular publisher, Mowenzi House, said, we need to publish this. We would love to, to, to do this because your story is one that needs to be told to the world. So that was a dream come true. And what I love about this book is it tells the story of my journey with cancer uh, from my perspective. But what's really beautiful is my husband, uh, my son, Shane, and my daughter, Sabrina, also write chapters in this book. So you actually experience what it's like to go through cancer as a family because the family you know, is going through this journey with you. And Casey, you would know that just based on your own experience with your husband. And what happened with me is I didn't even know what they were going through. And when they speak, they, they are so raw. You know, there's a story that my, husband, that, that my son talks about where he says he would come to see me in the hospital after work. And he, he worked as an investment banker. And he said it was terrible. He didn't like to come to see me because I was all swollen and I was always asleep. And I, I looked horrible. And he, he, he wasn't able to handle that. I mean, you know, the, 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 the authenticity and the rawness in this book is, I think, what sets it apart. I cannot wait to read it. I, I, what, what a beautiful gift you are giving the world by sharing not just your journey, but your family's journey. Uh, you don't see that in a lot of books. You don't see that in books, really. I mean, people share their memoir. They share their, their journey, but you don't hear the voices of the other participants in the family so important. And Casey, you know this. You know that it's your caregivers that are the true heroes of the journey because as patients, you know, you need to go through what you need to go through. But 
when you looked after your husband, you know, you are the, the true hero, you know, and, and I think that it is the caregivers' voices that are so often forgotten in this journey. And uh, that's really what I wanted to highlight. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I'm sure any listener out there right now who is a caregiver can relate to this. And and those with cancer right now probably kind of having this aha moment like, wow, yeah, it's it's hard to think about what others are going through because you have to put all your energy and time into healing yourself. Uh, but it, it's a team effort. You know, that's you you find your tribe. And, you know, between family and, and the close friends that help you through. Uh, and I, you know, I had a, an amazing, Craig and I had an amazing support system. You really, you, you really find people rising to the occasion and people you didn't it really have a stronger connection with coming out of the woodwork to help and uh, become lifelong, like even better friends. It's, it's just mm-hmm. an amazing thing what cancer brings out in people. Some people may run from it because it's a scary thing and it's uncomfortable. But uh, I know through Craig and my journey, we certainly, we certainly gain lifelong friends and experiences through, through his experience. Um, just the kindness, the the generosity of people was overwhelming. And I love how you wrote a book about that, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Our journey with cancer. After he had passed away, I wrote about the journey and then basically how we got through it and how everybody was there to, to support us. And we had love mobs. That was our big thing. We tried to lift him up with love. And, and you know, I, you know that it's that support and that love that gets us through. Yes, we have to find our inner strength, but there are times when you're so beaten down physically, emotionally, and you know, you're on the hospital on your deathbed, literally being given your last rites. And it's, it's the rest of the people kind of pulling you through that hope. And, and then, you know, wait, I want to see my kids get older. I want to see my daughter get married, my son get married. I want to see them you know, finish this school or that school. And so those people, those, their lives help pull us through our lives. You know, Casey, I write that in my book that uh, um, cancer has really been a gift in, in, in a strange way. And I don't like to call it a gift because for me, it's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> but, you know, if I could look cancer in the eye right now, you know, um, I would say thank you for, for so many um, things that you've just talked about, you know, the, the community, the friendship, the love, the, 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 the gratitude, you know, the uh, learning what's important to you, the, the affirmations, the um, realizing the fragility of life, you know, all of those, I think, I think have, have made me uh, a better, a stronger person. In, in the strangest way, you know, while the journey has not been easy, um, there, there have been gifts along the way, big gifts along the way. You certainly find the silver lining in, in something that could be so cloudy and dark. Uh, that's just uh, such a beautiful attitude that you have. All the things that you could list that are positive that came from not one, not two, but three battles, and I mean difficult uphill, lengthy battles with very awful cancers that have 
pretty poor prognosis. And here you are saying, oh, you know, it's a gift in a strange way. It's given me all these wonderful things. This, you know, you learn what's important to you. And just, you know, most of us think, oh, I don't take life for granted. Oh, no, I'm appreciative. Once you're hit with something like that, you realize, eh, you know what, I need to tweak this. Even the most positive of us and the, you know, the mm-hmm. people that think we appreciate everything, you don't know how important it is just to have a breath to take. You know, when you're having, you're being hooked up to machines and just the freedom to get out of your own bed instead of a hospital bed and not have a pick line. You know, not have needles being put in you every day, not having to have this schedule of chemo every day, uh, just those little things. You don't realize how good we have it. And and I'm so glad that you're bringing that to light to myself and the listeners. Um, and just the fragility of life is is so huge as well. And I just hope that everybody can take away from your book, your podcast, and this interview today that life is is so fragile and just to embrace it. And um, I ask you if there's anything more that you'd like to share with the listener, because you've certainly given us a lot of hope here, but is there any last words that you'd like to share? I would say just be obsessively grateful. Be obsessively grateful, you know, for every blessing. And there are so many blessings. All we need to do is to find them. They're all around us. I love this. Yep, they certainly are. They certainly are. Before you start your day in the morning, before you get out of bed, just take a couple breaths and just be grateful for the comfort of your safe room, the breath that you were just able to take, you know, the body, the, the healthy body that you're waking up in, those little things are huge and they all create who we are and how we are. And, and so sometimes it's important to take that step back and be grateful for all those tiny little things that we don't even realize others maybe don't have, meaning just our breath. <laughs> I'm so grateful to have you here today. Um, I'm grateful to have met you and learned your story, and I will certainly be ordering your book, Choosing Hope, One Woman, Three Cancers. Can you tell us how we can order this book? Yes, it's available on uh, Amazon. Okay. And I will put this in the show notes as well. And your podcast is called Choosing Hope, and it's Munera Premji, M-U-N-E-R-A, M-U-N-I-R-A. I'm sorry, I-R-A. And then last name, P-R-E-M-J-I. That's right. So the podcast is Choosing Hope, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. Ordinary People. And I will put this in the show notes so people can grab your book. It looks like an amazing read. I can't wait to get my hands on it. And I am so grateful to have met you. You certainly are a beacon of resiliency trifold i mean amazing resiliency and uh just you give all of us hope give us hope and i look forward to staying connected with you and uh riding this journey with you thanks casey for making this such a a beautiful experience i really i really feel like i i know you soul connection i agree i agree you are beautiful inside and out nara Stay well, stay connected, and thank you for being such an inspiration. Thank you. We learn from Manera that life has to be lived, 
Cancer can be seen as a gift in a strange way, a gift that keeps on giving. This includes community, friendship, love, gratitude, and learning what is important to you and realizing the fragility of life. Be obsessively grateful for all of your blessings. It's not until you are at death's door do you value life fully. God does not put you through what he can't pull you through. And embrace life's sadness, ecstasy, and learning. You can find Monera on her blog, i-will-survive.org, and her podcast, Choosing Hope, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things, and her book on Amazon, Choosing Hope, One Woman, Three Cancers. All of this is in the show notes. Today's gratitude is, if God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. Well, that's it for today's interview. We hope our guest's story helps you get through your story. Don't stop believing and keep on dancing.